Howdy, everybody. This is David Sanchez, and welcome to the very first episode of the Riffs or Die podcast. This is Monday, September 21, 202 or 2020, the year of hindsight. I don't think anybody could have imagined this year was going to be quite this fucky, but here we are. I hope everyone listening to this is doing well and appreciating the fact that they've got a supercomputer in their pocket to listen to this on. We're really spoiled. We're super lucky to live when and where we do. As fucked up as stuff gets, there's always something to be grateful for, especially if you're able to hear this right now. We're uh, living like kings and czars and emperors the way that they could only dream of for thousands of years. So, this is the first episode of this podcast, and, you know, this show is going to be, I would imagine, largely music-centric, but that's not going to be the only thing I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of discussion of the almighty riff, talk about all kinds of music. I listen to a lot of different things, even though I play in a metal band. Um, music of all genres are flowing in and out of my ears frequently. Be talking about music, and um, you know, I probably will touch on recording and composition and performing live, and talk about guitars and gear and uh, mixing and mastering, touring stories, stuff like that. But it's not going to all be music all the time. There's, although music is my love in life, I really, really. I uh, can honestly say that music saved my life. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for discovering how amazing and wonderfully perfect music is for changing someone's mood. But, uh, you know, we're going to talk about other stuff too. A lot of things go through my brain that are not music-centric. I'd like to talk about things that are going on in the world. Talk about books, movies, comedy, art, history. What's going on in the world, philosophy, things like that. If you want to get in touch with any questions or comments about the show, please write me at podcast at riffsordie.com. So a lot of you probably realize that um, I announced this podcast coming out quite a bit ago. I planned on launching this thing much sooner than today, but... I've been extremely busy. I had some projects fall into my lap that uh, took a lot of my time, and I just really couldn't get this podcast started the way that I wanted to properly. So over the last couple months, I've been working on a lot of mixing projects. One of the things I've been working on a lot is um, the new The Special record. It's a really cool three-piece band from uh, the Northeastern United States. If you're into... uh, like Primus and Tool, electronic synth music, and <laughs> like King Crimson and Rush, you'd probably like Le Special. It's all one word, L-E, Special. They have a really great record. Uh, the last one they put out was called Cheen, C-H-E-E-N. But I had the pleasure of mixing their newest record. I really like the band a lot. Um, not only the the dudes in it, but their music. I've been a fan of their band for 
quite a while. So I'm really, really stoked that I got the chance to work on that. But that opportunity kind of just fell into my lap. And that is the main reason for the delay of this podcast getting launched. I've also had some work to do on a Havoc live mix. We released it. It came out on notfest.com. We didn't release the entire show. We've got some plans in the works to put out the rest of the show at some point. But uh, I was working on that. And I also composed some intro music for a new cartoon that's going to be coming out called Monster Lab. It's created by the dude named Hunter Hancock. And a lot of people know him on YouTube as Meat Canyon. So some of you listening to this might have seen some Meat Canyon cartoons before. Anyways, he's got a new series of cartoons that he's putting out called Monster Lab. And I created the intro music for it. It was super fun. Um, It came together pretty quickly. It's drums, guitars, and a big church organ sound. It's really spooky, creepy, monster, sci-fi sounding music. I've currently got a couple other projects that I'm working on right now, which I don't know if I'm at liberty to discuss yet, but they'll be coming out sometime soon. Again, more mixing work, not uh, a solo album or anything The other cool thing that's happened fairly recently was the release of Psychosomatic's new record, The Invisible Prison. So I had the honor of producing and engineering and mixing that record. And basically the way it it went down is I packed up a ton of recording gear into a car and I drove all the way out to Sacramento and we set up shop in their rehearsal space and I basically built a little makeshift studio in their rehearsal room and we did all the tracking for the record in that one tiny little room. The gnarliest thing about tracking that record was because we were in a rehearsal space that was shared by like 60 other bands and not in a real studio studio is for tracking drums, you you need to be able to capture all the nuances in between hits and stuff like that, and it's an acoustic instrument, so you need silence uh, to track them properly without a bunch of bleed from other things coming into your drum mics. And when we were tracking the drums, we would sometimes have to wait uh, for other bands to stop rehearsing. Sometimes we'd get a false alarm, we'd hear music stop, and we'd like, perk up, like, oh no, is it time to go? And then you hear one, two, three, four, bat, 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 and you hear them start playing again. Like, all right, I guess we're not recording right now. But I remember there were some days where we didn't hit record because of other bands rehearsing until like two in the morning. There was one day of drum tracking where we came outside and the sun was up. It was like 8 a.m. We had just gotten done tracking the drums. (laughs) And their drummer, Toby Swope, is a beast and a half. And uh, he's currently playing in Skeleton Witch as well, which is also another great band, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will know. Tracking that psychosomatic record was interesting, to say the least. There was plenty of nights where I didn't sleep at all. I just stayed up all night chopping away at mixing things or uh, getting drum takes edited together so that the guitars could be tracked next. Stuff like that. I... uh, burnt the candle from both ends on that project while I was out there, but 
It was a really, really fun experience, even though it was, you know, not ideal conditions for recording uh, an album. I had a really good time working with those guys. I love the dudes in the band, and I love their music. They're one of my favorite bands. One of the most underrated thrash, punk, grind, death metal, skate, surf rock bands ever. (laughs) They're a really, really cool band. And if you haven't listened to that Psychosomatic record yet, I suggest you go check it out because they wrote some really cool stuff. I just had the opportunity to help them create it, to put it out. Very honored to have been a part of it. Really great band and... I'm just stoked that they finally got another record out. And I hope that we can do another one in the future. Time will tell. It's hard to talk about things that are happening in the future right now because so much is unknown and in the air. This year is unlike any other that I've been alive for. There's so much uncertainty and it's really hard to say what's going to happen next. So many unprecedented things have happened this year that it seems like anything crazy and outlandish is completely plausible. So, I mean, as far as touring goes and stuff, Havoc just put out a new record on May 1st, and we were supposed to be touring starting on that day. And all of those tour dates for North America were canceled, and we were supposed to be in Europe. Um, this summer playing festivals and all of those got canceled as well. We were supposed to be doing more stuff later this year, but everything just fell through. And that's the same for practically every musical artist out there. Right now, the whole touring industry, the whole music industry is kind of just dead in the water waiting to find out what's going to happen next. It's a really, really strange time that's kind of unheard of and unthinkable previously but now things have gotten so weird where anything could happen and it won't be shocking to me if touring comes back sometime next year that'd be great if it gets pushed back sometime later than next year i'm not going to be terribly shocked i'm hoping that it comes back sooner than later because that's what i do it's what my band does it's what tons of people do and it's not only something that I want to come back because it's what I do for work, but I also love going to shows. I love going to live concerts. That's like the only thing I go out and do for fun other than hiking and camping. I like to get out in the woods or go to rock and roll shows. That's about it. Like I'm not a, I'm not the type to frequent bars or go out to eat all the time. I love going to concerts. I love watching documentaries. I love movies. Nature shows are especially cool. I like getting out there in the woods. It's not much more fun to me than um, going on a hike in the woods. It's warm out, but you're in the shade. You can smell all the extra oxygen from the plants. Look at some beautiful lichen and moss and trees. All kinds of birds and uh, other creatures out there in the forest. That's a really good time. And when you get to the top is when you get the real payoff. You get an insane view that you can't get from the ground. But you have to earn the view. Unless um, you own a helicopter or something. 
But by that time, you probably earned that. And I just watched this movie last night about Nikola Tesla. That movie was pretty cool. It had Ethan Hawke playing Tesla and Jim Gaffigan playing George Westinghouse, who's one of Tesla's investors and uh, an inventor himself and one of the men who built America, so to speak. It also had a dude from Twin Peaks playing Thomas Edison, generally being an asshole. <laughs> dude was not cool. Electrocuting elephants, electrocuting dogs, electrocuting horses in public. All to try to um, discredit Tesla and try to tout his own inventions as the better alternative. So. Maybe a lot of people don't know, but I'm a huge fan of Nikola Tesla. That dude's one of my heroes. And it blows my mind that I was never taught about him in school. I never heard one mention of that guy's name all of my 12 years of regular schooling, which is completely insane. The dude grew up in America, largely, became an American citizen. He was in direct contact with Thomas Edison. J.P. Morgan, George Westinghouse, um, all, all kinds of really famous people of the time, really important, wealthy, smart people of the time. And for some reason, he's been practically written out of the history books. It's pretty mind-blowing that such an interesting, innovative, just special person, especially to our culture, um, has been just essentially erased from history. So Tesla is responsible for the invention or discovery, however you want to put it, of alternating current. And Edison's whole power thing was direct current. So we all know AC, DC, the band. But AC and DC are also electric terms, talking about the different kinds of electricity. So Tesla is definitely who the cars are named after. But I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Tesla coils, and those were a real thing. Tesla was born in 1856, and he died in 1943. For anybody interested in learning more about Tesla, I would strongly recommend reading his book. It's called My Inventions and Other Writings by Nikola Tesla. I've read it. It's one of my favorite books and it's just really cool to get the information straight from the horse's mouth instead of secondhand about the guy. It's from the guy. I really love autobiographies because why would I want to read about somebody when I could just read what that person said? And in Tesla's book, he talks about his inventions and goes into detail about a lot of his discoveries and um, growing up and working for Edison and knowing J.P. Morgan and... Um, you know, in installing the turbines at Niagara Falls, plus his discovery of wireless electricity. So this dude has been essentially erased from our educational history books. This dude was maybe the smartest human that ever lived. I don't say that lightly. I really think this guy might have been like the most brilliant dude since Da Vinci or something. The guy spoke eight different languages 
and he's responsible for the discovery of alternating current, um, remote control, neon lighting, x-ray technology, radio, wireless electricity, and a whole bunch of other things. So a lot of people are probably going to tell me that I'm wrong and that the radio was invented by an Italian guy named Marconi. So Tesla actually was given the patent after he died because he actually did invent the radio before Marconi did. And Marconi, when he sent his first radio communication, did it using 17 of Tesla's patents in the design. Tesla was such a, like, almost alien mind for his inventions and his machines he could see the blueprints in his head and he would put it together in his mind before he ever put it into a physical form and he would see how it would work in his brain and as legend has it he wrote in his book and other people said he would put together a machine and it would work the first time every time So he would see the blueprint in his head, put it together, and it would work the first time, every time. The dude was like unfathomably intelligent and for some reason has been left out of the conversation when it comes to legendary American people. You know, Edison is a household name. There's all kinds of household names, but I think he's right up there with Edison, Einstein, Stephen Hawking, Leonardo da Vinci. Any of these guys, he should be included in the same conversations, but for some reason he's not. I I suspect the reason that he's not is because people don't want you to know about Tesla. The most amazing thing that he discovered was wireless electricity, using the earth as its own dynamo. The air we're breathing right now is electric, and Tesla figured out how to tap into the electricity that's in the air naturally. So using the Earth as its own dynamo, utilizing electromagnetism, he somehow figured out how to tap into this untapped energy that's all around us all the time. Tesla figured out wireless electricity transmission in like 1901, I think it was. So this dude had it figured out over 100 years ago. And a lot of people say that, well... You know, his ideas couldn't work because it's not enough electricity without, you know, injuring things. But imagine if that kind of energy could be harnessed and, like, stored into batteries or something for use later. You wouldn't have to, like, electrocute everybody to, to power things. I think it's completely possible, especially if his ideas from over 100 years ago were refined and investigated more. You know, if we had an entire century to refine his ideas and build upon them, I can only imagine the kind of world that we would live in today. We might be living in like the fucking Jetsons, you know, might be able to get from here to China in four hours in some sort of crazy magnetized train tube. I could see it happening, but the powers that be, the big money the big money interests. When he came to these people, they were basically like, oh, you want to give the whole world free electricity? Nope. Fuck you. Can't make money on free electricity for everyone. It's a really disturbing, shameful 
thing, in my opinion, that Tesla's not taught in schools and uh, his ideas have not been expanded on and implemented on a global, massive scale. I mean, some of his ideas obviously have changed the world and we utilize them every day, like alternating current. We're using that now, but I think alternating current just scratches the surface of how genius some of this dude's ideas were. It really blows my mind that he's not taught in school. And uh, I really would urge anyone who doesn't know much about the dude to look into him. One of the things that he invented was back in, in 1893 at the World's Fair in Chicago, Tesla created a remote control submarine to show off. And uh, by the way, that was the first World's Fair that was all lit up by light bulbs. And Tesla and George Westinghouse earned the contract to light the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. And it was a, a big spectacle for people because light bulbs were a new thing. The whole thing was powered by alternating current and um, thousands and thousands and thousands of light bulbs. But anyways, Tesla made this remote control submarine. This was in the 1890s. This dude was making shit like this. Imagine the kind of world we would live in if his ideas were expanded on more. I think the coolest part about making a remote control submarine versus a remote control car or something like that is it's in the water, A, so electric shock, um, proving that it doesn't have that, I think is kind of cool. On top of, you could see if there was like a wire attached to it or something. And the fact that it goes underwater proves that the control through the radio waves is actually going through the water. It's not um, being obstructed by the separation between... uh, the submarine and the controller with, with physical physical matter in between. In that book, Tesla talks about when he figured out that uh, some of these like light bulbs that he screwed into the dirt were lighting up outside of his laboratory. He had figured out that wireless electricity is possible and safe and uh, limitless, essentially. There's this one part in Tesla's book where he's talking about like melting copper wire with the beams of electricity that he's created. But that force that's able to melt metals, he would put like his head in the beam and not feel anything or be injured or receive any sort of painful shock or anything like that. This dude was like a fucking super genius superhero alien brain shit like unimaginable almost magical levels of intellect and power harnessing what nature has to offer in a special way i think it's worth mentioning too that tesla in his opinion the pyramids the great pyramids at giza he doesn't think that they were tombs at all he believed and this is one of the smartest dudes that ever lived, in my opinion. Tesla believed that the Great Pyramids at Giza were actually giant power plants. He thought that they were giant wireless power plants that shot out electricity, possibly to the entire planet. Now, this wouldn't completely not make sense 
Tesla's laboratory where he built the Wardenclyffe Tower in New York, his big giant Tesla coil, was built over an aquifer. So he, something about the ionization that happens with the water flowing underground does something to help the conductivity of the electricity with the tower. And he was talking about how if you look at the Great Pyramids of Giza, they're built over aquifers as well, where there's flowing water under the ground. And that would make a lot of sense if built in the same way as his Tesla coils, those very well could have been gigantic wireless electric power plants. Understanding more about this dude and his mind and how he thought so abstract and outside of the box, I'd be inclined to believe a lot of the things he said, even though he was very eccentric and in some ways like very OCD and kind of a kook. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in more than that. Our daily life has been affected by this guy and his ideas. Super genius. Anyways, look up some Nikola Tesla stuff. Maybe watch a documentary or read his book, My Inventions and Other Writings. I think there's even a Dover Thrift Edition now that you can buy on Amazon. It's like $4 or something. Even Tesla stuff aside, it kind of blows my mind that we don't have a very large-scale and common way to utilize the most powerful thing on the planet. Why are we not harnessing the kinetic energy of the ocean? The ocean, the waves, the tides, that is never going to stop. And it's the most powerful thing on the planet. And for whatever reason, we're not utilizing that in a very big way. I find that very (laughs) mind-blowing. It's pretty crazy, and it's frustrating to realize that, like, I'm an, I'm not a fucking scientist. I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, it crosses my mind, like, hey, why are we not using the waves to make a bunch of energy? Limitless kinetic energy that could be transferred into electricity. Why is that kind of stuff not implemented? And I think I know why. I think it's all because that's not a big money maker. You can't make money on it. You can't bend people over and start siphoning off of their wallet and their bank account if they have free electricity. Because think about what people work for. People are mainly working for energy. You're working so you have the money for refrigeration and transportation and turning the lights on and charging your phone and your laptop and watching movies and cooking your food. You know, all these kinds of things take energy to make real. It's hard to imagine how much more advanced our civilization could be if energy was free. And I'm not saying that Tesla figured out how to make that amount of energy come for free out of the air. I think that possibly could be dangerous with electrocuting people or something like that. But... Like I said, that was over a hundred years ago. He was having these ideas and implementing them. I can only imagine with over a century of advancement on those topics where we would be if they weren't suppressed and squashed. When Tesla died in New York in the 40s, right when he died, the FBI came in and seized all of his stuff. And they refused to give it up to any of his uh, 
living family members. Tesla never married, never had any kids. He dedicated his entire life to invention. But he does have surviving members that share common blood with him. And the FBI refuses to give any of that stuff up. Tesla's largely rumored to have created a death ray. That's probably one of the main things people have heard about this dude. Um, Some of the kooky stuff. But apparently he created some sort of a direct energy weapon that he said would end all wars because whoever would have it would have the upper hand no matter what. (laughs) I don't know. I've seen some convincing arguments out there that maybe direct energy weapons have been used in in our lifetime. It could be a real thing. I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know most things. I'm not going to claim to. I have opinions on things, but opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one, and most of them stink. Mine very well could be no different. Mine could be real stinky opinions. But they're mine, and uh, if you don't want to listen to them, you can go fuck yourself. Or just turn the podcast off. That's probably a better move. Fucking yourself sounds like it hurts. I find that for the most part, opinions without experience are not opinions worth listening to. Sometimes you'll hear somebody ripping on uh, a band or ripping on a movie or something like that, and the person's never even seen it or heard the band. Eh, All right. Your opinion's fairly invaluable when you don't have a clue what you're talking about and you have an opinion on it. It should be taken with a grain of salt. And uh, I'll be the first to admit, a lot of my opinions are probably that way. Take them with a grain of salt. Do your own research. Don't trust everything I say. I'm going to try to only tell you the truth here, but um, as Marcus Aurelius, the famous Stoic Roman emperor said, all that we hear and see is an opinion, not fact. So take that information and do with it what you will. So if you want to support this podcast further than just listening and subscribing and telling your friends, you can go to patreon.com slash riffs or die. And you can sign up to get some extra podcast episodes every month. You'll get some discounts on merchandise throughout the entire website. And uh, you'll be getting some bonus content. You can even get like a handwritten letter. I'll handwrite any lyrics you want from any Havoc song. You'll get some uh, sneak peeks and early access to new merch items, posters, stickers, all that kind of good stuff. So check it out, patreon.com slash die. Let's get into some of the emails that I got from y'all over the last couple of weeks here. Let me open up some of these. So I'm not going to go through all of the comments and questions that I got. I got quite a few. But uh, let's hammer through some of these things and hopefully I can get you guys some good answers to some of your questions here. And if you commented just to talk some shit, that's fine too. I want to hear from you. This guy said, congrats on the podcast. Finally something I can listen to slash watch without fast forwarding the half of it. My question is, how do you start writing lyrics when the deadlines hit and you have to write? How do you get yourself to start writing? Because I'm fucking stuck. Best of wishes for you, the band, and the podcast. Rock on. Rock on. Yeah. Okay, good question. 
writing lyrics, especially when there's deadlines and you have to write, whew, that's loaded, but I, I'm familiar with the feeling. As far as starting to write lyrics, I usually keep a note in my phone and on my laptop that has just like new song ideas. And I'll often write down just like a cool phrase. If I think of a, a phrase and I don't want to forget it, I'll just add it to that new song ideas list. And it's basically just a brainstorm of a bunch of ideas that I feel like I can probably elaborate on later. Or maybe it's just a cool line that has no context whatsoever at the moment. But it's something that has like a nice rhyme or cool alliteration or just sounds cool phonetically. I'll write that stuff down, and that way when it's time to write lyrics, I can start sifting through my brainstorms, and I can start cherry-picking the list and starting to come up with, you know, what these songs could maybe be about. Sometimes I won't even write down a phrase that could be a song title or even a lyric in the song. It'll just be, like, a concept for what to write about, what to write a song about. And those are very helpful when it comes time to, to writing lyrics, especially under tight deadlines and when you're, you know, in crunch time. Those can be incredibly helpful because maybe it's something you wrote down a year ago, but now you're a year later, you have more perspective. You look at the world in a different way. You might have more to say about that little, little tiny brainstorm idea that you wrote down forever ago. So... That's how I start writing lyrics. And when the deadline's hit and you have to write, uh, you say, how do you get yourself to start writing? <sighs> That's really tough. I think when you review your brainstorm list, if you have one, you just need to attack the first ones that are exciting and inspiring to you need to go through your list of maybe 20 different ideas. You find the one that's like, oh man, I could elaborate on that a lot and just go after that one first. You kind of want to get the the bulk of your writing done quickly. If, if it's coming down to crunch time, you don't want to save the easy ones for last and start with the hard ones where you're having writer's block. Get all the easy stuff done. And by the time you're you're finished with some of those other things, maybe you've hit a groove and you just start taking off and some of those ones that seemed challenging before maybe become much easier because you're like in the in the swing of writing a lot. So I hope that helps. Let's see what else we got over here. So this guy writes in, Hey David, I'm a massive fan of Havoc. You guys are one of my biggest influences. Thank you very much. That's very cool. Anyways, here's the question. How do you feel about overdubbing slash otherwise including more parts in a track than the band is capable of playing live? I personally struggle on this opinion because I think that opens a lot of opportunity to explore more sounds, but it's almost disingenuous to include, say, a guitar riff behind a solo while the band only has one guitarist, especially factoring in Recreating the sound live. Thanks. God bless. Which God are you blessing me with? Um, to answer your question, it's a good question. How do I feel about overdubbing and including parts that you can't pull off live? I think it's totally okay. I mean, look at Bohemian Rhapsody. 
the middle of that song has a crazy like vocal overdubby, very studio magic-y type of feel that can't be produced, be reproduced live in any sense to sound just like it does on the record. Um, and that's totally fine. I mean, I think if you've got a riff under a solo or maybe you've got, you know, let's say you got two guitar players, but there's a third guitar line happening and it's on the recording that way for the studio version, but live you can't pull off that third guitar part. I would just figure out that third guitar part, whichever one is the least important and just ditch it for the live version. But if it, Seems like a good idea to put it on the recording for the studio. Do it. A studio recording is a really, you know, it's a special thing. It's what people are going to listen to a lot. And it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly like the way it's going to be played live. Sometimes there's special effects on vocals or something on our records where, you know, we don't reproduce it live exactly the same way in part because it would be a big pain in the ass in some of those spots or just straight up impossible to pull off in the live setting. Um, one thing you could always do is, you know, you could play whatever specific song that is. It's got the extra part. You could play it with a click. You know, your drummer has a click in his ear or something and you automate there to be like backing tracks or something just for that section. There's not a, anything severely wrong with doing that. Um, it's totally doable. It's not like no one else is doing that or, um, would totally ruin the vibe and of, of your show and make you look like an idiot. You know, if, if 99% of your show is all real live stuff and you have a spot here or there where there's an extra guitar part that's not being played by anybody on stage, but it's automated, whatever, who the fuck cares? Hardly anybody's going to care. <laughs> You're probably going to care way more than anybody in the audience would. So that's my advice there. Either, uh, you know, automate that stuff to happen or just ditch the least important part that doesn't need to be there. That's in the studio version and just uh, have the studio version be its own cool thing and have the live version be its own cool thing. I mean, case in point, we just released some live Havoc stuff. and. On the records, there's two sides of rhythm guitar happening under the solo. But on these live recordings, it's just me and the left speaker and Reese, the lead guitar player, on the right. And when he starts taking his solo, there's no rhythm guitar on the right speaker. It's all just in the left. So technically, on those parts in those songs, like we're missing a part of guitar too. But it's not a huge deal. Because... It's live. It doesn't need to sound exactly like the studio version. If that was the case, nobody would go see live music. They would just go to a venue that has a sweet sound system and throw on their iPod or their Spotify on their phone or whatever. Part of the magic of a live show is that it's different than the studio version. So I hope that helps. Thanks for writing in. Appreciate you. Much preach. Here's another question. It says, do you play custom guitars? And if so, who made them? And what specific input did you have in their designs? Wood, shape, pickups, frets, etc. Well, I actually do have some custom guitars. I just got a custom ESP recently 
from the Japanese ESP Custom Shop, who is world famous for doing amazing work. And I did have a lot of specific input, actually, on the design, um, the types of woods used, uh, the shape, the, the pickups, the frets. Yeah, that was all customizable and suited to what I what I wanted. My new ESP is kind of an oversized EX body. I'm hoping that someday we can tweak it a little bit and make it a little more custom. But it has a reverse headstock. It's got a Floyd Rose. It's all white. It's got chrome hardware. It only has one pickup in the bridge. One knob, one pickup. It's just an EMG H4, which is, I think, the hottest passive humbucker that EMG makes. So it requires no battery. It's a passive pickup. It sounds a lot like an EMG 81, but you don't need a battery, and it's got way more dynamics. I pick really hard, and I always wanted to hear that, and I felt like I was missing that with the 81 because the 81 compresses things and is just so hot that whether you're picking light or you're picking hard, it all kind of sounds the same, and I didn't want that anymore. So I tried out the H4, and I really, really loved it. So that's what's in the custom. It's got 22 frets. It's a shorter scale. Uh, the 24.75 inch scale, like a Les Paul. And it's got stainless steel frets, Spurzel locking tuners, and Schaller strap locks, which are my strap locks of choice. And the other thing that's kind of extra cool about that custom ESP that I just got is the side dots. They light up. There's LEDs in there, so I can see... I'm on a super dark stage in between songs or something. Those LEDs are insanely bright. I actually need to hole punch like some stickers or something to put over those LEDs because they're like fucking blinding. If I was on a super dark stage and had to look down at my guitar, I'd be kind of like turning away from the light. Hurts your fucking eyes. So I got to figure out a way to dim that a little bit. I think a dimmer would be really cool, but it'd just be another thing in the guitar that could go wrong. And uh, the way we tour and the way we play, the less things that you can have as potential fuck-ups, the better. Ah, yeah, and I didn't mention the guitar is made of mahogany. The body is mahogany, and it's got a maple top, just like a Les Paul would. It's a very heavy guitar, and the neck is made out of maple, and it's got an ebony fretboard with no no inlays on it. There's a... There's a picture of it on my Instagram. You can find me on there. David underscore Havoc. H-A-V-O-K. Havoc with a K. Because we don't know how to spell. Well, I don't know how to spell. Came up with it when I was 15. That was before I learned how to read. But yeah, that's my first custom that I've gotten from ESP. I've got some older ones that were made by Framus, which is essentially Warwick. And those guitars are like flying V shapes and they're very cool as well. Got a white one and a black one. They both have uh, very similar specs to that ESP that I just got. Generally speaking, I really love the sound of maple um, for body or for, you know, definitely the neck, but a maple body sounds really great too. It's really bright and snappy, has a lot of attack. And it's like tight. It's not all loose and flabby like some other woods. Mahogany's got some great chunk to it. So 
with this ESP custom. I had a mahogany body maple cap, so it's nice and chunky in the bottom end. But then that maple cap really helps it have some bright snarl and, and tightness in, in the picking department, just the top end of it. And I, I really prefer the look of ebony over rosewood as far as the fretboard goes. And I find that ebony is a little brighter, a little less like buttery and smooth and and I guess round sounding than like rosewood. Rosewood sounds more mid-rangey and, and warm to me and more round, whereas maple and ebony sound more sharp and bright and like spiky and fast, I guess. It's hard to describe sounds with words because a lot of these things are a matter of personal preference and, and taste and uh, people hear things differently. So it's always funny hearing people refer to tones as creamy and smooth and silky and juicy and fuzzy and fat and warm and bulky and chunky. And <laughs> there's all these fucking ridiculous words that we use to describe tones, but gotta start somewhere. Here's another question. It says, Will Havoc consider doing a live stream show playing through the epic new album just as some bands are now doing? You'll, uh, you know, you know, sell tickets for the live stream. Oh, there, there's a comma missing, I think. You know, sell tickets for the live stream show and all that with some limited edition shirts slash slash merch we can buy for a limited time. Well, the problem with our band is that we're very spread out. So doing a live stream is not as easy or as convenient as we would like it to be. Pete and myself live here in Denver, but our bass player Brandon is about a thousand miles away and Reese, our guitar player, is about 2,000 miles away. So it's not economical or um, easy to schedule something like a live stream with the four of us in the same room. And I feel like if we're going to spend the time and invest all that time to bust our ass and work out something like that, I'd much rather spend that time and all that creative energy creating something for a, another record instead of rehashing something that we just put out. You know, We just put out the studio versions of all this stuff if we're going to play it live, I want to play it live in front of people because a lot of this music is designed for a live show with a real audience, you know? It's not uh, particularly written to be listened to on a on a cell phone speaker. So short answer to your question is probably no. We probably won't do a live stream that has limited merch and stuff like that. But we did release a live video from the our only Denver show of 2019. We recorded at the Bluebird Theater in Denver back in December of 2019. And we just put a bunch of that show out. It came out on notfest.com. So if you want to see some live Havoc stuff, go on to NotFest's website and look for the Havoc show. Check that out and then go to store.havoc.band and you can find some new merch that we just put out. And if you're in Europe, you can go to Empiricon, the Empiricon website, 
and find a lot of that new merch as well. So there is some new merch out there. And then there is a great multi-angle, like multi-track recorded show that you can enjoy that just came out recently. It's it's not a live stream, but it was a live show. So feel free to check that out. Um, I, like I said earlier, I did the mix on it. So if you want me to mix or master your band stuff, definitely feel free to hit me up. Just go to riffsordie.com. The contact info is all on there. Shoot me a note. And I'd love to talk to anybody who's interested in uh, working together in that capacity. i got a few more here that I'm going to read, and then we'll wrap this thing up. This one says, David, good to hear about the podcast. It's always refreshing to hear your take on current events. I am so sick of the line-in-the-sand politics of the two-party system. Amen. I play guitar in a stoner metal band, and these toxic mindsets are rampant in the scene. God forbid you have a thought that differs from the hive mind. Some 1984 shit going on around here. Yep. All I can say about that is true, 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 true. The world keeps goose-stepping closer and closer to Orwell's nightmare. Every month, it feels like. Fuck, every week, it seems like we get closer and closer to the 1984 world. Where pretty soon you're going to be convicted for thought crime. And uh, anyone who doesn't believe in, quote-unquote, the party, or goes against the grain, is going to be sent to uh, room 101. And uh, have a rat cage put on their fucking head for a rat to start eating your face. Until you love Big Brother and love your servitude. Thanks for writing in. That's uh, really cool. I'm very glad to hear that other people out there are thinking this way. I think George Orwell was not just an author. I think he was a prophet. A lot of the things that he warned about in that book have already come true and are getting closer and closer to reality all the time. It's a really, really crazy time to be alive. There's a lot to be thankful for, and there's a lot to be... uh, (laughs) Keeping your eyes open for. <laughs> All right, this will be the last question for episode one of the Riffs or Die, 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 Die podcast. Thanks a lot. If you're still listening to this, you're a champion of the universe, and I thank you very much for your time and your attention. You're badass, man. This one says, Hey, David. Huge fan of Havoc and all your work in general. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Just saw that you were starting up a podcast and figured I would send in a question. I just saw your question and figured I would give you an answer. I know that you are big into recording, mixing, and mastering, so I would love to hear your opinion regarding the capturing of organic kick drum sounds that still hit insanely hard. I've heard interviews with Pete saying that he never uses triggers, which I think is awesome, but still achieves one of the hardest-hitting kick sounds I've ever heard in modern metal. That's really cool to hear. Thank you. That's uh, very cool. The writer continues, In your experience, how do you go about capturing slash mixing that type of kick sound, and do you think it's possible to maintain that same level of attack and consistency in a super technical context, where there are double bass runs hitting tech death level speeds. 
i.e. Archspire, Origin, Spawn of Possession, etc. Just wanted to ask because my band is centered around a sort of progressive tech thrash style that uses a lot of fast double bass. And we are aiming to keep everything organic without the use of triggers if possible. Once again, I am super appreciative of all the things you and the guys in Havoc are doing for metal at this point in time. Keep up the awesome work. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for the kind words. So, let's dig into this. Let's dissect this a little bit here. You're wanting to know about capturing an organic kick drum sound that still hits insanely hard. And even at fast speeds. Okay. Well, for starters, when you are just playing an ACDC beat, like your kick drum is being hit very hard. You're going to have way more attack on those hits than you are when your drummer's feet are flying off of his ankles and he's, you know, just like machine gun feet. It's going to be probably a physical impossibility to be hitting it as hard as the ACDC, like slam, like four on the floor kind of thing. So keeping that in mind, when you have stuff that's that fast, you typically need to be using some pretty extreme EQ and compression, especially if you're going to have drums where you're playing a normal standard beat and then in the same song, there's machine gun kick drums that are just faster than fuck. You're going to have to use EQ and compression to kind of even out the playing field between the extreme slow beats and the extreme fast, uh, light-footed kind of things. So what I would start with is cranking up the high end. I don't know what kind of mixer you're using for live or if you're doing stuff in a DAW in a recording program or, or what you're using. But generally, I would boost the kick drums. If you want like that really wet kind of Pantera click to the kick drum, I find that somewhere up around 8 to 10K boosting up there will get you like the really high attack but generally like some of that attack where you really want like the the punch in the upper mids is going to be somewhere around like 3k and up generally when i'm mixing bands live or i'm mixing metal stuff on a recording i find that i typically am doing a pretty wide boost somewhere up in the maybe five to six K area and, uh, you know, boosting up around eight or 10 K if I want it to have even more click in the really high, high end. Generally I'd scoop some of the low mids out just to get rid of some of the mud, especially when there's a lot of fast double bass, you're going to want to get rid of that because otherwise it's going to build up way too much. So I would try dumping some low mids probably around like two fifty hertz um somewhere generally between like 200 and 500 hertz somewhere in there doing a big cut could be very beneficial for getting some of the mud out of there and on kick drum i really like boosting around 60 hertz to get some of that really meaty like thump that shit that shakes people's skeletons in the live venue 60 hertz is that magic number for me most of the time Sometimes it's a little lower, sometimes it's a little higher, but 60 is a good rule of thumb. And for compression, I mean, if you're doing this stuff on recordings, 
I would uh, use a compressor that's got a fairly slow attack time, very quick release time, and I'd do four to one or maybe even up to six to one ratio depending on how dynamic the kick hits are. You know, try to get whatever gain reduction necessary to kind of even out the big hits with the fucking really fast, uh, lighter hits. And if this is in a recording situation, after you do the EQ and the compressor, you can EQ it again if you want to. But at the end of the chain, I would recommend throwing a limiter on there just to even things out even more because a compressor will, will get things balanced out a little bit, but that initial transient that will happen before the actual compression effect starts clamping down on the signal, that's still going to spike through way huge on the big hits versus the tiny ones. So I think a limiter is a good way to keep the kick drum levels in line. Also, it helps a lot if you've got a kick-in mic. Like if you've got a, a Shure Beta 91 or you've got a like a Sennheiser E901, something like that, a nice flat microphone that sits inside a kick drum, that can be extremely helpful for getting a lot of attack out of the kick drum. So consider using a kick-in and a kick-out mic and try to EQ the way I said and compress it fairly heavily and try throwing a limiter on the end of the chain there. And that might help get you in the direction of very metal and consistent. I hope that makes sense and helps you out in your metal adventures. I think that's it for this episode of the Riffs or Die podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. This is episode one. I'll be putting out a public one for all of you for free every week. Expect it. And for people that want to sign up for bonus episodes, go to patreon.com slash riffs or die, and you'll get a couple of bonus episodes a month. Please keep writing in any questions and comments. The email address is podcast at riffsordie.com. You can go to riffsordie.com, check out some t-shirts, some other merch items in there. Please feel free to reach out if you're interested in having me mix or master any of your audio projects there. And Thank you all again so much for listening to this, listening to me babble like a crazy person to myself. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word. It rhymes, so it must be true. We got one episode done. Woo! Thanks a lot for tuning in, guys and gals. Try to leave the world a little nicer than the way you found it. We'll be all right. I'll talk to you next week.